hello. Just a quick word up top before we get into the Chosen Brew podcast. I do another podcast called The Wheel of Sport and it is excellent. So you should listen. I've put the link in the show notes. There's heaps of great stories in there from the world of sport. And if you don't really like sport, it's still great. Give it a listen. I'd love to hear what you think. Now let's get into the uh, the proper stuff. Here we go. Welcome to the Chosen Brew podcast. This is the podcast where guests talk their way through the six beers that changed everything. As always, I'm your host, Ian McNally, and in this episode, we recorded this one remotely with Steve Hendo Henderson, and for what it lacks in sound quality, it makes up for in content. It's another belter. Let's get into it. Hendo, welcome. How are you? <laughs> Not too bad. It looks quite nice and sunny there in Brisbane. Yeah, it's not too bad. There's been a few storms and stuff like that, but nothing like Melbourne. Holy moly. I was watching Facebook and Instagram. Like I saw Ash Hazel from Colonial Brewing and he he was floating in a rubbish bin out the front of his brewery. And then I saw a video of Mountain Goat with water gushing in through the door of the brewery. It must be pretty bad down that way at the moment. Yeah, it was pretty hairy on the, I was riding my bike home from the city last night and uh, I was going to drop into Westside Elworks on the way home and yep. there was no chance. <laughs> it, was, yeah, right. it was practically <laughs> cars floating away. Talking of the, the craft beer industry, you particularly have kind of cemented a quite a special place in the craft beer industry. Is that fair to say? It's probably it's probably not really fair to ask you that question to give the self assessment. Yeah. <laughs> but where, well, where do you where do you see yourself in the in the industry? I've you know for all of its ups and downs, I've had an absolute ball and continue to do so. So um, I'm um, I'm just pretty happy just doing what I'm doing and making awesome beer and helping other brewers make awesome beer now through the Rockstar Brewer Academy. So, yeah, it's good fun. I'm enjoying it. Tell us about the Rockstar Brewing Academy because, first off, brilliant name. <laughs> and <laughs> and I, I imagine that the Rockstar Brewing Academy is something that couldn't have really existed probably even three or four years ago. Uh, it, it seems to really be on the upward trends. I mean, what, what is the Rockstar Brewing Academy? What do you do? What's the aim of it? And how do yeah, you see so, it moving on? Yeah. So the, the, the name itself was a very tongue-in-cheek uh, name that, that, that just happened to have the, the, uh, the domain name and the um, uh, Twitter and the Facebook and the Instagram are all available. And um, it was originally a, my, my sort of personal blog. Um, and um, you know, when I sort of finished up at Stone and Wood earlier this year and was sort of thinking about what I was going to do next, I was really um, enjoying the training and education side of things that, that, that I was doing at Stone and Wood. You know, I sort of one of the things I'm very proud of of my time at Stone and Wood was starting uh, the company homebrew club called the League of Extraordinary Brewers, and uh, with with uh, with a very respected colleague of mine, Neil Whitton. Uh, aka Pops, 
and um, we had a ball and I kind of really got into sort of the whole thing where, you know, you're just inspiring um, the brewers of today and tomorrow to, to sort of seek to make better beer for everyone's benefit really. I mean, and, and so, um, so I sort of decided pretty much on a whim to go down that path and start the Rockstar Brewer Academy. And it's sort of, it's, it's growing and evolving. So what the Rockstar Brewer Academy is at the moment is, so I do a little bit of brewery consulting and they might be startups or they might be established breweries looking to take that next step and grow. You know, they might be setting up a lab or setting up a sensory program, uh, something like that. Uh, so a bit of training is involved in that. I run a um, mastermind membership program for professional brewers who are looking to enhance their skills with regards to beer quality, um, you know, enhancing their beer quality and their skills around beer quality. Um, so they, um, uh, so we, we run a, a, a webinar not too dissimilar to what we're doing now once a month with a whole bunch of people all over the country. Um, I write, I do a lot of video tutorials on how to do different things relating to beer quality. So how to write your quality manual, just one that I'm just wrapping up at the moment in and editing is um, how to set up a brewery lab many and, and, and doing it in a way that it's cheap. So we just, we've done this thing where we've set up a lab uh, at Brendale Brewing Company and we're doing full micro analysis and we've, we've set everything up for under $3,000, which is really nothing in terms of, um, you know, a, a brewery budget and that sort of thing. And so, you know, so they, and as well as all the other members have access to this other way of looking at their beer and uh, making sure that's the best that they can brew. Um, so that's pretty good. I also do, um, so I partnered with a, a laboratory down in Melbourne um, and we do beer. Uh, lab laboratory analysis services. So if you want to know what the IBUs are or the ABV, or if you've got a micro issue or something like that, then the lab can actually provide that. It's, it's been done before, but it's never been done on the basis that it's a brewer to brewer conversation. And I myself, you know, when I was running breweries and that sort of thing, always had trouble getting information about my beer um, and speaking to a laboratory about what I needed to know. And so the way that it's set up now is that, that brewers can have a chat to me and it's a brewer to brewer conversation. It's like, all right, what do you want to know about your beer? Uh, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And we can go and we can tailor up a solution where um, a brewery can get things tested. Like starts really as simple as your water, you know, and, um, and knowing what your water is so that you know how to treat it for different styles of beer that you happen to be brewing. So, um, but it goes on through to chemical analysis, like ABV, IBUs, color haze, all sorts of stuff, and then microbiological analysis so we can detect, um, you know, different bacteria, uh, wild yeast, uh, diastaticus, which is a yeast sort of variant that, that, that can do some harm. It's found a lot of saison. And uh, yeah, so that's that's going pretty good, and then we've got a few other things in the works for next year. So um, I'm pretty excited about the future for it. So that's good. And yeah, you're right; you couldn't have, you couldn't have done it three years ago, I don't think. 
Um, I don't think the industry was big enough three years ago, five years ago to uh, really warrant that type of service existing within the industry. But we're nearly 500 breweries in Australia now. And so I think it's sustainable. So it's, yeah, it's exciting. I actually think even maybe three, four years ago, there wasn't actually a desire as well. Like there probably was among some people to do this. But I, I imagine for some people, their attitude was, well, I know whether the beer is good or not. I don't need a lab to tell me. But what amazed me was speaking to uh, Scott from Hobart Brewing Company. Yeah. And he put out a beer where he said the IBU on this is one thing. One of his consumers said, there's no way the IBU is what you say it is. And he said, well, I'll show you. I sent it off to the lab. And Scott, a very experienced brewer, he said I was wrong. <laughs> Yeah, you know it's it's and it was yeah. by quite it was by quite a way as well. So it shows you how important the scientific analysis is, and I suppose as the industry, uh, for want of a better word, professionalizes and becomes more more and more competitive, quality is just massive because it means that. And you would have done this yourself, bought a beer from a brewery, and probably if it wasn't up to scratch not bought anything, any product from that brewery for a while, you know, or, or never again. Absolutely. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, uh, you know, I, I, you know, the, the, the biggest challenge that I face, uh, you know, when I'm speaking to prospective clients is basically uh, trying to tell them that their beer is their brand. And if you're trying to grow your brewery business, then your beer has to be top notch. And, and, um, you know, as the industry grows and matures and does become more competitive, as you said, um, you know, there may well be a shakeout in the industry in the future um, where, you know, lots of breweries close. We kind of see that, you know, around the edges now and, you know, I'm no stranger to that myself. So when that shakeout happens, it's going to be a shakeout on quality, not price. And so trying to sort of have a conversation, craft a conversation when you're talking to brewers about the importance of quality um, and helping them to get a better understanding of their own beer helps actually helps them make them a better brewer and make their product better and helps their business grow. And so if you have a look, for instance, at the largest craft breweries in Australia. So, you know, Stone and Wood or Four Pines or, you know, the rapidly growing ones like Pirate Life, who, you know, you know, who both of the, you know, Four Pines and Pirate Life have been uh, bought out because AB InBev saw value in what they were doing. The value that they saw was that the product that they were making was really good. And um, the reason for that is they had dedicated people who were involved in beer quality. And so I guess what I try to do with the Rockstar Brewer Academy is to make that more accessible and actually um, uh, bring a lot of those roles and services and equipment that are too, that out of reach of, this, of small to medium-sized brewers and actually bring that in and make it available to them so they can actually grow their business up until the point where they can go and do it themselves or bring, hire the right people or buy that piece of lab equipment or something like that. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think accessible is definitely the word for what you're describing because I, I read a piece about uh, that you wrote about diacetyl yes. and 
it was it like i i'm not a scientist i don't know a whole heap about science the only thing i know is that the science teachers in school never used to wipe the board because they want to show everybody how clever they are like it's it, so you know the next teacher comes in and they're like here's all my formulas on the board how clever i am and i yeah. think that's the wrong attitude to have if you're trying to teach somebody else so no, I, th I thought your your uh, article and the explanation was really accessible and the having that kind of uh, comparison between here's how the big guys do it because they've got the money and the resource and the lab and but here's how you can still get a similar result if you're only starting off and I thought that was really really valuable yeah I did I did the same thing with the, the diacetyl and dry hop creep thing and same with diastaticus as well was actually how to sort of diagnose the issue um, without expensive lab equipment. And it's not perfect, you know, but at least you're looking at it. You know, and that's, that's the, the, the key thing there. So. What's your advice with a brewery who they have a product and there's, there's a, something not quite right about it, but yeah, every brewer's got to make that decision. Do I throw this away and lose a huge amount of money or do I put it out on the shelf? It's not a black and white thing. Uh, a good brewer will have the right quality system in place and know where their product, what their product should look like throughout the production process um, to make decisions before they get to the point where they're about to put the beer into a keg or a bottle or a can and send it out the door. And it's really um, when you when you when you have a system, you know, a quality system within your brewery. There, there shouldn't really be any surprises. And if there are, then you've already written down how to deal with them. And sometimes, yeah, you put beer down the drain. I mean, oh, everyone's done it. But, but it, shouldn't, it should never be the case where the brewing process, even in parts, should be a black box. There are a lot of brewers out there who are just putting brewing, putting word into a tank, walk away for a week or 10 days or so, come back, what's the gravity looking like, and assume that the beer is done. And that, that nothing's wrong with it. And, and, and I think you've got to be a little bit more attentive with your product to see how it's looking and tasting every day, you know, and during whilst it's fermenting away and is there some off flavour that I need to address? And if so, what's causing that? And then taking it a step further, you know, one of the things that we sort of lack in the industry and, you know, with brewing in general is that many brewers lack sensory evaluation skills actually knowing how to taste beer, learning how to detect off flavours and knowing what causes those off flavours and how to address them so it doesn't happen again. Consumers out there, like the punters, they'll taste a beer. So it's exactly as you just described it. It's like you taste a beer and something's quite off and you can't describe what it is, but you know that there's something wrong. Um, brewers shouldn't be like that. Brewers should be able to, um, you know, smell and taste a beer recognise an off flavour, know what causes that off flavour and address the issue. It's a big step in becoming a quality brewer is, is having sensory skills. Yeah, and I suppose if you're um, making beers which are intended for the, the craft beer consumer, the kind of knowledgeable folk, it, there's a fair chance that they know more than possibly than you do. So 
the consumer is becoming more and more educated. And I suppose oh, yeah. uh, you'd have that experience at Stone and Wood. I know it's been a big focus in terms of the sensory. Um, you know, they they will check. Uh, I think a beer is it 120, 140 times yeah. mm -hmm. before it goes out, and then they still have that sensory um, thing, which is the human side of things. Right. I think ballast points 180 times from the start to the to the can. The science behind it is extraordinary, but there is still like human elements. There's nowhere you have to be able to un, with it without anything in your head already. You have to be able to identify these things, and that's so you can only do that over time, can't you? And so, so tell yes. us a bit about the experience you've had at Stone and Wood, um, and what they do in terms of quality control and sensory. Oh, that, it's so good. It's so, it was such a great place to work because everybody is motivated and passionate about uh, beer quality and they've got a, a dedicated full-time quality manager, three full-time lab staff, a very well-equipped lab and every single staff member in the brewery, and it's not just the brewing team, um, get involved in sensory. We do it every day. So uh, I think they do it at, like, you know, at, at 10 o'clock in the morning or something like that. The lab gets together all of the beers that need to be uh, go through sensory for that day, and they and they bring a few people from around and 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 into the into the lab, and you know you try the beers and you're trying the beers for two aspects. So you have, um, and this is one of the things that I teach in my mastermind is is how do you know when you make a beer that it's right? You know how do you know it's right and no, and nothing's really wrong with it. And again, it's not a black and white thing. And there's two things. So there's uh, fit for use, which means is this the right finishing gravity? Is it the, are the IBUs right? Does it have any micro issues? Uh, what's the colour? What's the haze? You know, all that sort of stuff. That's fit for use. But then the other aspect of knowing if your beer is right is what we call true to brand um, analysis. So rather than just going and writing a beer recipe saying, oh, it's got this malt, this hops, this type of yeast, this you know fermentation profile, that sort of thing. When I write a beer recipe, I actually write out its true to brand description. So here's how the beer should look. Here's, you know, and that's describing the color and the haze and the head retention and the color of the head and all that sort of thing. What's it supposed to have? What's its aroma property supposed to be? What's its flavor uh, profile supposed to be um, how is the what's the body and the bitterness supposed to be like and the finish and writing those things down before you actually even make the beer um, and 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 every time beer would come out of the tank so it would makes a lot of Pacific Ale and you would think it would just be a doddle that they just yeah, make a Pacific Ale you know and but it's not every single batch of Pacific Ale that gets made um, goes through this analysis process where we try the beer and we go, right, is this the colour? Is the haze okay? Does it smell and taste the way that Pacific Ale is supposed to taste? Because the alternative is, imagine if Pacific, and, and, and Stonewood, they, they know that there's variances in Pacific Ale from batch to batch. It's one of the things that they sort of highlight around their brand. But, how, you know, Imagine if there was some radical differences around, say, something really obvious, say, the colour right, of, of the beer, and it varied from batch to batch. How would you feel as a consumer 
would you trust that brand if there was a radical variance in the product in, in terms of something obvious like color? Um, and you probably wouldn't because you're like, when I see a, a Stonewood Pacific Ale on the, on the shelf um, at a bottle shop or on the tap at um, you know, a pub or something like that, I reach for it and I order it because I trust that it is going to be Stonewood Pacific Ale and that there's a level of consistency there. And I, I have a high level of trust for that brand because they've put in the effort to make sure that the beer is consistent. And so if you're, if you're a, a, a starting brewer and you're having consistency issues, you're not really doing the right thing by your consumers by giving them something different every time. You can't trust a brand that just changes, moves the goalposts willy-nilly. And so that's a real challenge. And it's important. And on that note, do you, are you surprised uh, when you go into, you're invited into a brewery, you must have had occasions where you're like really impressed by how far along the journey they are uh, in terms of quality control, et cetera. But you must also go in scenarios where you're thinking that you, you're not even covering the basics here. <laughs> like you, you yeah. start from ground zero in some places. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, I've seen I've seen the whole spectrum of um, um, you know how a brewery can either have their, have their shit together or not, and um, uh, you, you've but you've got to. It's very very simple. If you are a growing and starting out brewer, have a look at the breweries that are growing rapidly. They all have one thing in common: is that they're all uh, dedicating time and effort and money on making sure that their product is of a high standard of quality. Pretty simple. <laughs> <laughs> you make it sound simple. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, it, exactly. You have to dedicate a lot of kind of thought and resource to it when yeah. you've got so many other things going on as a small business. Well, absolutely. It, it, it's, it, it can kind of be, strangely, it can kind of be lost. You think, oh, I've made, as a home brewer, I've made great beer. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to upscale it and it's going to be the same. And now I've got to worry about branding and whether can or, or bottle, whether yeah. I distribution, exit. You've got so many other yeah. headaches. Oh, shit, yeah, 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 absolutely. That you can kind of forget that actually upscaling isn't as simple as just more. <laughs> it comes with all its other problems and issues well, as well. So, you know, first and foremost is that. You know, I, I speak to a lot of home brewers who go pro and it's so easy this day, these days to go to the bank and borrow us, you know, half a million bucks and go and order some stainless steel from China and build your own brewery and you open the doors and you're an accomplished home brewer and you've not been professional before, you don't have a formal education in brewing and then all of a sudden you open your doors and you've become a food manufacturer. You don't think about it like a food manufacturer. Imagine if you went to the supermarket and, you know, if, if, we, if we had the issue, if we had the situation like we have with a lot of craft beer on the market at the moment that we did if we went to the supermarket where we would buy a tube of Colgate toothpaste or we would buy the Golden Circle Fruit Cup Cordial and there was the variance and inconsistency around the product all the time that you couldn't trust these brands, oh man, shopping would just be an absolute nightmare. But it's great when we go to the supermarket. 
because all of those uh, brands, those companies that have products on the shelves take their quality seriously and they make sure their product's consistent, well-made. And so I can walk into the supermarket, I can randomly pull things off the shelf because I'm like, yeah, it's fine, fine, fine. We don't have that with craft beer yet in Australia. Um, we, um, we, we, have, we have some issues around consistency. And, um, but, you know, with regards to, uh, you know, beer quality, it's a continuous improvement thing. The journey doesn't end. But as long as your, your quality and your consistency is heading upwards and in the right direction, then you're going to be a great brewer and you're going to grow. In terms of the quality as well, and we'll just have this little point before we go on to your first beer, because yeah, yeah, we are yeah. here to talk through the six beers that changed everything. <laughs> but this, this is fascinating. Forget, forget about the six beers. <laughs> oh, no, wait. That, that's the core of this podcast. That should be doing. <laughs> um, with regards to quality, with food, am I right in saying that beer has very few like governmental standards because it can't really it, it's not going to kill you whereas food food poisoning can kill you and maybe that's what drives quality in in the supermarkets in foods yes. that doesn't you know drive the quality in in beer yes and maybe if there was more standards around the government it would restrict breweries opening correct but it would drive quality as well absolutely um yes so you're right in that um uh, we are very lucky as brewers in that um, we uh, make a product that generally can't make people sick. Imagine what it would be like if craft brewers made a product that if they fucked it up, people got sick or died, worse still. There'd be far fewer Australians. <laughs> that'd be going into the industry and that sort of thing, I know. But we're lucky, you know. Any beer that is... Uh, you know, has more than about 2.8% ABV and eight IBUs is no, no pathogen can live in it. So you can't get sick from it. So, um, uh, you know, in that sense, um, we're lucky. But, and the worst thing that can happen is the beer tastes bad or smells bad. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's very... We're lucky, but I sort of worry about those who are out there sort of, sort of testing those lower ABV limits, you know, around light beer and that sort of thing that goes sub 3%. You know, you can buy, you know, Han Premium Light and Forex Light and, um, you know, all those low ABV, sub 3% beers, you know, 2.5% beers from the big brewers. They're pasteurised. So there will be no pathogen in it. But generally, craft brewers don't pasteurise their product. So you've got to be very careful in that sense that you don't drive the ABVs too low. It's probably why we've seen kind of a dearth of mid-strength, which you rarely see under 3.5%. There's yeah. a good, mar good margin for error there, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, you hear talk through six beers to change yes. that Nintendo. So um, choice one. Choice one. I've got a list here, and I'm going to I'm going to approach this in no particular order. I'm going to start off with the one uh, that I was uh, actually thinking about this morning, 
don't know if you remember a brewery from Nower in New South Wales called Hot Dog Beer Works that recently closed. Uh, and the brewer there, Tim, Tom, uh, uh, Tim Thomas, uh, very talented brewer. And I've always been a fan of his barley wine. So things like uh, Super Beast and uh, all that sort of thing. He, I, I literally think he's one of the best barley wine brewers in Australia. I don't drink a lot of barley wine, but man, he was really good. Still is. I'm not saying was. He's still around. <laughs> but um, um, yeah, beers like the, the beer, that Super Beast in particular, I was very fortunate actually. You know, I went about three years ago, I went on a, a bit of a motorcycle holiday road from Melbourne up here to Queensland and back and then stopped in to see um, Tim on the way through when he had the brewery and it was open. And he cracked open some of his uh, 2004 barley wine. So before he actually, he's been in the industry a long time, but he cracked open a poor barley wine. Oh, my God, it was just divine. It was a really old beer, but it was so well done. And I was like, this is great. Got this to look forward to and that sort of thing, you know. So, yeah, shout out to Tim and, uh, you know, the now no longer existing Hot Dog Beer Works and, and, uh, and Super Beast there on my list. Super Beast, great choice. Yeah. Going in hard with a barley yeah. wine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and actually, to that point, talking about drinking a beer that's very old. Yeah. There, there is the fact in terms of quality once you put your beer on the shelf, that's not the end of the story, is it? Because you do have to check your beer, check in with it, you know, how it performs on the shelf or in Correct. the fridge or how it kind of yeah. takes three months down the line. Famously, yes. Stone Brewery buy back after 90 days because of freshness. We've seen this whole debate about Candon or uh, Best Before Best Dates before, and yeah. all of those uh, and obviously the requirements. Um, where do you kind of, how do you advise regarding that situation and how well, do you, any, you know, any, any good brewery's quality program will have, will have a retention program, beer retention program. So each batch of beer is kept for a certain period of time and then they'll be brought out on occasions to put in front of your sensory panel to see how it's progressing. So, you know, you see, for example, up here, Slipstream Brewing, so... Uh, Ian Watson only puts 90 days on his product. I've no doubt that he would be doing some sort of, uh, you know, re- sensory analysis through a retention, a beer library, a retention program. And he's sort of come out and said, well, my beer's only good for 90 days. That's, that's how it is. If, if you want it to taste the way that I want it, you to enjoy it, 90 days. That's it. So, um, so yeah, that's just part of one of the things you do as a, quality brewer is is to have a retention program yeah and that, that's just hard that's hard isn't it for um smaller breweries who kind of send off the the beers and probably don't really know even the big breweries sometimes don't know what's happening to them whether it's being light struck in a you know an industrial estate on a big well, pallet or out in the field there's some things you just don't have control over you know um about how the, the, the beer is treated. When I was running Brewcult, my, uh, I took the advice of Brennan Barris from Feral, where his mantra was keep it cold until it's sold. So whilst the beer was in my custodianship, I made sure that it was looked after to the best of my ability. Um, but once you sell it and it goes to a venue or a consumer, you really don't have any control over it, as much as you'd like to. 
Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Just uh, find myself and watch everyone drink each and every one of my beers. <laughs> Not really two more. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Um, choice two. Choice two. I'm gonna I'm gonna shout out to uh, a beer that it's from a brewery where I was the head brewer, um, but I didn't make this beer. So the beer is Southern Bay Requiem Uber Pale Pilsner. And um, I put this beer on the list because it's actually a beer that taught me how to make lager. And I was taught how to make lager by a very good friend of mine, Matthew Cuthbert, who um, he now is the head brewer over at Rebel Brewing Company in Bulimba here in Brisbane. And um, up until that point, you know, in, in, in my career, I was making a lot of ale and a lot of American style beers and hadn't really nailed how to make a lager. And it was only when I sort of went to Southern Bay, which was a predominantly lager brewery, um, where I actually learned how to make lager really well. And I love lager. I, 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 a lot of people get hatey on it. And I just think it's just another style and the whole diversity of beers. And But making it is quite difficult because they're so clean and crisp and pale and you don't have a lot of simple ingredient you know simple malt bill simple hop profile you don't have a lot to hide behind when you're making one and you want to make one well and so maddie um you know we put this beard we, we wanted to do a pilsner and um and i said to maddie was you know one, one of my brewers on the on the production team and you know I said, look, mate, I want you to make a, make a pilsner and don't spare any expense. And he's like, what? And I'm like, yep, just spend as much money as you got to make this beer awesome. And so he went away and wrote a recipe and we got the really expensive Wyman premium pale pilsner and we had Waiiti hops in it, which were pretty new and from New Zealand, and we dry hopped it which was kind of unheard of back then. And the first couple of batches of that beer to come out of the tank were just divine, you know. It was completely unsustainable beer. It was so bloody expensive. To make. It was supposed to be a core range product. We just didn't care. The beer was just really nice. And, um, uh, we, 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 we held on. We stuck to our guns as long as we could before the recipe got changed and that sort of thing. Um, for, for purely for the economics, and that's the right thing to do. But man, those first couple of batches of requiem that we did were really, really good. And so it was Maddie, really, who taught me how to make lager. And um, you know, here in Brisbane, a lot of people know that Maddie and I know each other. And but what they don't realise is that Maddie's been in the industry um, seven years longer than I. He's got his. He's done his postgraduate degree if you did that five years before I went and did mine at, at uh, University of Ballarat or Federation University as it's called now he taught me how to make lager and he's a very very talented and experienced brewer and so you know a lot of people think that um um that 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 I'm involved with Revel and that sort of thing and um or that I they're a client of mine or something like that and that's they, no they're not and Matty's just a great mate and um, who makes, you know, a good mate that makes really good beer. And, um, and again, he's the guy who taught me how to make lager. So I love the guy. 
that's really nice yeah. <laughs> and it's maybe the friendship is like the first lager you made <laughs> the first couple of batches it's, it's enduring it doesn't yeah. have a shelf life though and that's a good thing so. <laughs> and there's not much to hide behind <laughs> yeah. no, no secrets can be hidden. No. <laughs> I almost feel like a, a brewery's pilsner is a bit like the canary in the mine. It's a bit if there's there isn't anything to hide behind. So if you can no. make a good pilsner, you can. I think you can probably trust the rest of the range. Correct. And probably conversely as well, if it if it's not great. Correct. Yeah, you might have your doubts about the other beers as well. But yeah, um, choice three. So um, this beer is my um, is my epiphany beer. This is the beer that got me into craft beer. Um, I was living in Perth. It was the early 2000s. Um, used to live in Mount Lawley. Used to go to a really good pub still exists called the Queens. Um, and at the time, you know, little creatures had started up and you get little creatures, pale ale everywhere. And it was fresh and local, really, really good. But there was another brewery that opened up in North Fremantle called Matilda Bay. And they had some really good beers. They had a really good beer called Bohemian Pilsner, which I really enjoyed. But it was Alpha Pale Ale, which was my epiphany beer. And um, so this is a really interesting beer and it has a really strong historical significance for me because um, so Alpha Pale Ale actually wasn't brewed in WA. I've recently found out. It was actually brewed by Brad Rogers of Stone and Wood. And it was only ever brewed at the uh, Sanctuary Cove Brewery between here and Brizzy and the Gold Coast. And this is the days before Matilda Bay moved from WA to Victoria, you know, and, and the beer was just like Little Creatures Pale Ale was a lovely hoppy beer, you know, and it was just bloody beautiful. But Alpha Pale Ale just turned the hoppiness up a notch for me. And I just was sort of, and I was like, it's Amarillo on Cascade. I, I've got the pops at Southern Bay, gave me the recipe for it. It's so good. And because he used to be the head brewer at Matilda Bay in Port Melbourne. And um, and so Alpha Pale Ale just turned the hops up to 11 as far as Pale Ales goes. You know, being Amarillo and Cascade and it was just deliciously, not fruity citrus, but real piney with just a little bit of, you know, orangey citrus to it. And... I used to just drink pints and pints of it because it was just, I just hops. It's just the beer that got me into hops and uh, it was so good. And so, so the, the significance there is, is, you know, it's a Matilda Bay product and, you know, which doesn't really exist anymore. I don't think frothy counts for that brand. It's a, yeah, it's a little bit of a betrayal yeah. of the roots because Matilda then, Bay. Well then fat, yeah came out and Matilda Bay were making fat yak before it became yak ales. But the fact that it was the beer that sort of got me into hops and what a hoppy beer was supposed to be like being simple, um, being brewed by, you know, one of my brewing idols, Brad Rogers, you know, who I'd eventually go and work for, <laughs> you know, it was, it was, it's, it's really good, you know? So I was, I was, it's a, it's just a great beer and you just can't get it anymore. And, you know, when, 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 Fat Yak first came out, that was kind of, you know, so Matilda Bay had two pale ales in their lineup and they chose to, to you know, bet the farm on Fat Yak as opposed to Alpha Pale Ale. And I think that was, um, you know, a real sort of tragedy because Alpha Pale Ale, in my, just in my opinion, was, was a better beer. So it's 
So yeah, you just don't see it around anymore. It's a bit of a shame. It's quite nice to kind of think that Matilda Bay was, you know, push really pushing the the boundaries. <laughs> and now obviously all of that kind of heritage seems to have uh, fallen apart with um with the tales. Yeah. yeah, well how the yeah. brand is being used is uh, you know, even a tap room disappearing in Port Melbourne, which uh is now colonial. Correct, um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's it does seem a shame that you know one of the things that a new brewery wants is story and heritage, and Matilda yes. Bay had that. You know, yes, even like Red Redback was a, yep. a great like pioneer in beer when yep. beer that style didn't really exist. Yep. Um, made by Australians, yeah, and, and bees knees. Yeah, Bees Knees, yeah. And Bohemian um, Pilsner and Barking <laughs> Duck and yeah, Ellis, amazing yeah. about beers, yeah. It's, yeah. And it seems it seems like a paradox between um, major breweries wanting story and heritage. That's why they buy the smaller brands that have that. Um, if you look on a, a bottle of James Squire, there's practically an, an essay on <laughs> so many words on, the, on a bottle of James Squire because yeah. story is so important to them. Correct. Seems strange that it's it's strange. I find it strange though, you know, that that you know, there's there was CUB who owned a great brand with some great years, and somehow someone within that large organization, it just happens with large organizations, hijacked it, turned it into Yak Ales, and um and and when and then and then the same company goes and buys other craft breweries to buy the story, you know, and I find that just, just, just scratch my head going, you had it, you had, you had beers, you had the brand, you had a great story, you had some excellent beers and, you know, it got kind of squandered and then they had to go and buy some more brands to, to fill that gap. It's really strange. You know? I think you hit the nail on the head before with uh, what happens to Stone and Wood. And uh, I spoke with Scotty from Bolter in the last episode that you definitely get the impression with Bolter or Stone and Wood that everybody there is about beer. Yes. The, the marketing, money-making side, et cetera, is, a, is an add-on to it. Yes. But the key thing is that they're passionate about beer. And perhaps that's exactly where a large organization like CUB would, would uh, you know, they'll have somebody working in marketing who is just a market there. They would oh. be, they'd be marketing soap powder or they'd be marketing cat food, but it just so yeah. happens that they're marketing beer <laughs> and well, they might not necessarily have that passion. And no disrespect whatsoever to, to I mean, I have friends who work for, for CB and AB and that sort of thing. And so, you know, I, um, you know, uh, I've got a lot of respect for that, for, for AB and and CB and the brands that are associated with it. Um, um, but you know, it is fair to say that whilst a brand remains independent, it remains um, innovative and true to itself. You know, um, and once it once it sort of becomes part of a a larger sort of corporate, then there are a lot of other factors. You know, there's head office to deal with, and the marketing department, and the finance department, and that sort of thing. And 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 so it's just it just changes just changes those people in AB InBev and CV are passionate about beer just as much as any independent craft brewer out there. Um, but the, I, I suppose the, 
the internal politics of the organisation changes. Yeah. There's layers, isn't it? There's layers of just layers. It's just forces that are acting upon you, which exactly. Yeah. It's just how it is, you know. It's like you know, I, and the thing is, what I will stress is like you know, companies like CB and AB Inbev and their associated brands, their quality brewers, very very good at what they do. They have multi million dollar laboratories and well paid sensory staff, and um, you know, quality programs in place, and they make really high quality beer. And so, you know, what I often say is, is I think about beer in two aspects, quality and value. And I think Carlton Draft, for example, is, is a, um, a very well-made beer. So is Forex. So is Forex Gold. So is, you know, all of those mainstream lagers are very, very well-made beer and they're of a very high quality standard. Have you ever had a bad Carlton Draft? That's just not. Ever had a bad VB? No. That's the sign of a quality product that's consistent and does what it says on the tin every single time. And as craft brewers and independent brewers, we need to aspire to be like that. But where the value proposition comes in is Carton Draft. Very, it's a very high quality beer. I just don't think too much of it. It doesn't have a lot of value. I don't buy it often or anything like that. And um, so I just don't think much of it. And I go and buy other brands of beer for whatever reason. And so there's that high quality, low value aspect. And if you flipped it around the other way, um, high value, low quality, um, you know, I think about a brand that started, you know, you know, six or seven years ago where they did this, you know, stonking high alcohol beer. Everyone was just going, wow, that's amazing. It's never been done before. And you went and bought it and one bottle would be okay and the next one would be a gusher and the next one would be flat. And that inconsistency is low quality. So it's high value because everyone wanted it. And the guy was going, oh, my God, this beer is amazing. But it came out low quality. right? And so as brewers, we need to aspire to have high quality and high value at the same time. Uh, make beers that are interesting, innovative, but also consistent and well-made. Yeah, because I, I think that, the trust in supermarket brands, the trust is CUB have that in spades. And I think yes. if we, you know, we're the minority in terms of craft beer, like nine out of 10 beers sold are not. Um, yep. And so that means the consumers we have to win over. If they yep. try a beer, uh, why wouldn't they go back to something they know? Why wouldn't they just go, well, I've, I've had a go at craft and it wasn't very good. So yes, that's you right. know, because I got, a bad quality beer. So I'll just go and, and spend what I know because actually that was $7 a pot and my Forex is $4 a pot. So yes. I took a risk. I got punished financially. Yes. yes. And, and, you know, you go back. and yeah, and that's where quality, I think, in the craft sector is is so important. Um, yeah, absolutely. And that's why everybody should use the Rockstar Brewing Academy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, um, Choice four. Podcast brought to you by Ross. <laughs> okay, so choice four. I'm going to throw in uh, a beer from New Zealand, um, from uh, Liberty Brewing in New Zealand. They make very, very good um, hop forward beers, and I'm a big fan. But the one that I love the most because it showcases my favourite hop variety is a beer called Sauvignon Bomb, which showcases Nelson Sauvignon hops. And 
we just don't see here in the Australian market um, anymore any beers that really showcase Nelson Sorvin hops really well, primarily because you can't get it because it all usually all goes to New Zealand brewers or you know uh, international brewers with, with big big hop contracts and that sort of thing. Um, but um, Nelson Sorvin's an unbelievable hop because it has this wonderful you know, white wine and gooseberry characteristic that everyone talks about. But what I also love about Nelson Sorvin, it's got this really pungent, astringent, burnt rubber car, t- burning rubber car tyre kind of aroma to it. Those two things together are just amazing. And um, we just don't see beers like that anymore. So to give you some examples of some beers that had that character, Enterprise Reserve Lager, it was a line product. It was like a Pilsner we'd done with Nelson Sorbin. That was bloody beautiful. Um, Sauvignon Bomb just does it so well as an IPA. Uh, Coinda Full Nelson, Black IPA. It's another beer that sort of showcased Nelson Sorbin hops. Uh, you know, I did a, a Brewcult Red IPA called Keep On Trucking, and that had Nelson Sorbin as the predominant hop in it. And I just love it. Wish I could get my hands on it more, but um, it's just so hard to get. It, that is a problem, isn't it? It's just like agriculture is is tricky and you've got to wait as well if you you know yeah yeah fashion demand that's it i mean beers that you know for all of the complaints and and critiques and all that sort of stuff i see from the beer geeks out there you know on all the facebook groups and that sort of thing um people seem to forget or they they can't get their hands on a beer and they get narky about not being able to get a beer because there's just not enough of it i remember beer is an agricultural product you know and it comes from a farm. And sometimes things just don't work out and there's not enough of a beer. And the moment that you, you know, that, that, that you as a, as a beer geek out there start complaining about the lack of, a, of, of availability of a particular beer, you've commoditized the product again. And you may as well go back to drinking mainstream lager because that's a commoditized product. So you need to treat beer as being special and unique and rare. Sometimes you just miss out. Sometimes you actually get your hands on something that's rare and you get to enjoy it and tell all your friends about it. So, yeah, Sauvignon Bomb, great beer. I think they still make it. They don't really get it over here. I always seek it out when I go to New Zealand for Biavana or something like that. So it's a good beer. Well, choice five. I rarely drink sour beers, um, strangely enough, um, because they just don't agree with my stomach very well. But I do appreciate you know, Belgian style beers and wild beers and, and that sort of thing for their complexity. Um, but the one on my list, which I will not miss if I ever see it, is Lost Abbey Red Poppy from the US. Uh, I first tried this beer uh, in 2011. Um, I went over with a couple of good friends of mine, David Summergreen, um, who is a Qantas pilot. I called him the beer mule because. Um, he would be on the, he would go uh, Sydney, Auckland, LA, New York, 48 hours off, and then go New York, LA, Auckland, um, Sydney. That would be his route on the A330. And so he was called the beer mule because what he would do was he would take, pick up Aussie beers, he'd go to Auckland, he'd go drinking with Luke Nicholas from, from Epic Brewing Company and grab some Kiwi beers, take them over to LA, swap them with some local beer geeks in LA, pick up some West Coast beers you couldn't get on the East Coast, take them over to his friends in New York, uh, people like um, 
uh, Gregor Voller, who's one of the founders of Untapped, and he would go and drink beers and go to cool bars. Then he would pick up all these East Coast beers and mule them back in all of his stops on the way back. <laughs> and and so, you know, I kind of connected with him through Twitter or something like that, and he said, oh, I'm going to go over to the um, Great American Beer Festival in Denver. And I said, I really want to go. I'd like to go to that. So we went, and we went to the Great American Beer Festival and holy moly, I'd actually been to the Denver Convention Center before um, when I was working in IT. In 2006, I went to a Microsoft conference in Denver. And to give you an idea of how big the Great American Beer Festival is and this convention center. So when I was at the Microsoft conference, there was all these auditoriums and breakout rooms and that sort of thing. It took half an hour to walk from one end of it to the other. This thing was huge. And the and there's 10,000 delegates to this festival. And where the Great American Beer Festival is, is where we had lunch at this festival. So it's, it takes, it's, it's a massive in its own right. But it's the place where we had lunch during this festival in, in this one big, uh, big hall. And it's, oh, what was it? It was, like, it was over 2,000 beers, different beers there. I tried to try them all, but um, <laughs> I only had three days. And, um, and Dave Summergreen, he dragged me to the Lost Abbey stand. He says, you've got to try this um, Flanders Red that they do called Red Poppy. He says, it's just spectacular. And I tried it and I was just blown away with it. It was probably one of the earliest sour beers that I drank, but it was amazing. And so I was over in Japan in September earlier this year, judging beer competition over there. And I went to the, I wanted to go get buy some beer and American beer is actually pretty accessible there. And I went to this beer shop called Antenna America and walked in there and actually saw a bottle of red poppy. And I, and it was like $45 Australian for a, for a, for a $375 mil bottle of beer. And I bought it. Very decadent. But geez, it was worth it. I've still got it. I'm probably going to sit on it for a little while. Maybe I'll just have to go back over to the US. And- it's irresponsibility like that yep. where the rock star name surely comes from. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you bought that for $45, went to the yep. hotel room and threw the sieve out of the window. That yep. Yeah, that was it. So uh, I'll save it for a special occasion, but yeah, don't drink a lot of sour beers, but when I do, I want to make sure they're really good. And we're doing some, you know, it's, it's a lot of people say that sour beers are going to be the next big thing here in Australia. We've been saying that for years. Hasn't really happened it's growing but it's not become a mainstream thing you know but but we are starting to see uh some you know very talented brewers who are going down that path of wild beers and i think there's a very bright future for it here um you know um there's some you know wildflower in sydney is the first one that comes to my mind um every one of their beers that i've of tofas that i've tried has been outstanding um, and um, I'm looking forward to uh, what the Currumman Valley boys do when they sort of start their sour program. So they're good mates of mine as well and built their brewery out of upcycled dairy equipment and they're on the, in the on the edge of the valley and you can look right across the valley. It's just stunning. And uh, once they get their barrel program underway and that sort of thing, I think we'll see some really good stuff from them because I've tried some of the, home brews that Luke has done 
and been very impressed. Yeah, I think one one of the ones to watch is probably uh, Hop Nation with those guys coming from wine. Yeah, they've well. got um, they've got their new premises around the corner and a barrel space and that sort of thing, and that's going to be really good in Melbourne. Um, there's some good stuff happening down in Tassie. Um, Molly Rose, it might be one to look out. Yeah, Molly Rose, absolutely. And um, I don't know what Nick's planning on doing there, but but he's always been very eclectic in his style. So we'll see. Yeah, and even uh, some people who've been doing it a long time, like Two Meter Tall as well. Two Meter Tall and Boat Rocker, and um, yeah. you know, um, there's, some, there's some good with wood. <laughs> Yeah, three ravens, and yeah, yep. actually, when you actually start thinking about it, there's, there's, there's quite a, a few yeah. in the space, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, oh, look, you know, um, and there's some really sort of you know talented brewers out there who are actually going down that path, you know. Um, um, you know, mentioning three ravens, Brendan O'Sullivan is probably, is, is you know, probably one of the best sour brewers, um, in the country. Um, don't tell him I said that. <laughs> and then um, you know um uh, even brendan barris you know and yeah, from feral gosh that you know they do some pretty amazing barrel aged beers out in the swan valley there so okay hendo you've taken us on a good journey so far uh last last choice choice six uh choice six uh so another american beer actually and i wanted to be quite sort of have a mixture of styles in in here um and um, so this is an American brewery. I first tried this beer when I was a steward at the Australian National Beer Awards um, uh, six years ago, I think. It was 2012 or something like that. And um, uh, when you're a steward, you get to try all the beers. They don't restrict your alcohol intake. And so you can basically drink and serve beer and that sort of thing all day without, as long as you get too silly. But I was judging Imperial Stout. Oh, sorry, stewarding Imperial Stouts, and um, we had all sorts of amazing stuff come out. Um, uh, Samuel Adams Utopias, which is the twenty-eight percent high alcohol thing. We had not necessarily stout, I don't think, but high alcohol beer, which is very interesting and innovative. Comes in a really flash-looking bottle, but it was Deschutes the Abyss that was so rich and complex. And uh, I just was blown away that that is what a stout could be. And when you think about how the abyss is made, it's a there's some unoaked uh, stout. There's uh, some that's oaked on bourbon, some that's oaked, uh, aged on red wine, and they re-blend it together, and all these flavours come together and make the abyss. And um, uh, you know, I, I I don't mind the odd imperial stout. But that one is a particular standout for me, and and sort of really sort of highlighted what uh, what a stout could be. So yeah, the abyss. So tell us yeah. about. Um, I've seen one of the the sheets that you will judge a beer. It's yeah. it's fairly in depth, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, you've got a lot a bit of thinking to do. Yeah, it depends on the competition. So so there's two main style guidelines when you when you enter a beer in a beer competition. It's about entering a beer into a beer style and making sure that you hit that style and that the beer is absent of any major faults. And so I love beer. I thoroughly enjoy beer judging because for me, it's, I call it mindful drinking as opposed to being at the pub with your mates where you're just smashing down pints and that's mindless drinking. 
And I love mindless drinking as well. I don't have to really think about the beer. Um, but but when you're judging, it's mindful drinking and you use your brain in ways that, that, that really light it up. And I love to judge because I'll even judge and appreciate beers for styles that I, just don't, that I don't normally drink or enjoy, but I enjoy the process of going through and picking out the, the little nuances and flavour characteristics and aroma characteristics in these beers um, and seeing how well they hit it. So from a beer judge's perspective, the, beer, the, ju- the, the beers are judged blind. The judge never sees the beer label. And so you don't know what you're drinking. All it has is a number. And so you have a glass of beer. You have the style guidelines, some words, which describe what this style of beer should be like. Piece of paper to write your thoughts on. And so when you take away the branding and the label and the marketing and the hype, and all you're left with is the liquid, it changes the way in which you appreciate beer. This is something that, that um, I encourage all beer geeks to do on occasion. If you go onto a bottle share, do a bottle share where everyone's got to bring their, their, their bottle of beer or can of beer in a brown paper bag so no one can see what it is. And all they have is the style. And when you take that away, you actually start to appreciate the beer for what it is, as opposed to what you think about the brand and the marketing. And it will help you elevate your appreciation of beer in in that way. And that's why I love to judge beer, basically. Another brewers and drinking beer all day as well. Um, It's taken me all over the world. Japan was so much fun this year. I had such a good time. in Japan, hanging out with some really good people, you know, ate and drank well. It was so good. Went to a baseball game, drank some amazing beer, met some amazing people. It was, yeah, it was really good. Yeah, it's, it sounds like a charmed life, Fendo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The hangover's not but it, so much. But, <laughs> yeah. but it, I, I know it, um, it hasn't all been plain sailing for you. Um, no. Tell us about Brewcalls. So Brewcalls was a company that I founded in 2013 uh, after I finished up at Southern Bay. And I was very naive. I just thought if I made cool beers that people would buy them. Um, and, um, you know, long story short, um, we, we were having some growing pains uh, around growing the business. Um, and um, we... Uh, we opened a retail venue with the view that that would um, alleviate some of those growing pains, you know, particularly around the financials. Uh, and the and and the retail venue just didn't work out, and uh, unfortunately dragged the whole business down. But I'll, I'll tell you this: actually, this is going to be exclusive for you because I don't I haven't really told anyone about it. But um, uh, but uh, Brewcolt's coming back and. Um, um, I don't own it anymore. So the um, the brand was sold uh, in the liquidation. So the trademark, all the recipes, and label designs and all that sort of stuff was sold um, to a uh, consortium um, who loved the brand and loved the beers. And the, the, the primary uh, person of note in that consortium um, is Adam Trip Smith, um, who founded Vale Brewing, um, and then sold that, and then he founded Kegstar, and sold that. 
And so, um, so he, he, he owns it now and um, he's currently having some time off and um, he wanted to between his time when he finished up at Kegstar and doing whatever it is he's going to do next. Wanted to, um, you know, get back into the beer game. And when he bought it from the liquidator, there was always this thing that really, it didn't sit well with me in the Hendo equals Brukop, Brukop equals Hendo. And I tried so hard to separate myself from the brand, but it just didn't work that way. It just, people just decided, what they wanted, people are very, have an insatiable appetite for knowing who makes the beer so much so that, that it, Forget, you forget about the brand and it was really I was getting pretty cooked over it you know and it's, it's there are challenges about being a brewer in having you know you go to a beer festival and you have to be switched on and um you know and, and friendly and polite and I'm a friendly polite person anyway but you know it's having the energy you know maybe you have to do that over like a 10-hour stretch or something <laughs> it's quite but exhausting it's day, in, day out for some mm. see so when you see those brewers who are personalities, um, it's tough to be in that situation. And so I felt very deflated and drained and, um, you know, towards the end, at the last days of Brewcott 1.0, when there was like a mad rush trying to get ourselves out of this financial situation and seeing the, the writing on the wall. And whenever... Um, you know, there was a discussion about, to, to the point where I just really didn't want to be part of it, you know. Um, and whenever there was a discussion about someone buying into the business or raising money or something like that, you know, I, they always said, you know, does Hendo come with the brand, you know, and I and I didn't like to be treated like a, a commodity on a human being at the end of the day. And... Uh, and 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 once they had found out that I may or may not be involved in the business, a lot of people just walked away. You know? um, and but Adam ATS was different um, because you know he sort of said, "I love the beers and I love the brand." And I said, "Look, mate, you know you can go buy this, mate, but, but there's no guarantee that I'll be involved in any future plans with it." He says, "That's okay," and he just he left it at that. And we've been talking for the last year uh, about um, resurrecting the brand and that sort of thing. And, and um, you know, he, he understands that the situation that, that, that Brucott 1.0 put me in and how difficult it was. And, you know, he's a very understanding person. And so, uh, you know, we, we, it was a very slowly, softly, softly approach. And he sort of said, oh, come on, let's just make a batch of gear. So we've, we've done... One now two batches of Brucot Extra Pale Ale. So I don't own the brand anymore. I'm just as a consultant to get the brand up and running, and I'm really happy that I'm making Brucot beers again. And the Extra Pale Ale is kind of a little bit of a, uh, a hop zone or thanks, Captain Obvious kind of a melange. And we're brewing out of you know Gypsy Brewing out of Rocks Brewing at the moment, and this is big plans that they've got for the brand. And I'm really happy to see it back up and running, you know. And, um, you know, one thing that I've sort of, you know, been pretty adamant about is the Brewcop brand has to, you know, I appreciate that there's a historical connection there and, 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 and uh, with, with me to that brand. But um, Brewcop 2.0 will, uh, will be about the beer 
and not about Hendo. And I think that's the best thing for the brand. And so, um, so two batches in, it's kind of where we've left it now. Um, ATS has gone on holidays. We'll probably catch up sometime in the new year or something. And that's really it and see where they're at. And it's gone, that's, that's where the story is at at the moment. So yes, so there's, there is Brewcock cakes kicking around in Sydney. And Sydney only, uh, no plans to distribute anywhere, um, nothing like that. I don't own the business. I'm really glad that I, that, that I don't own the business, but I'm really glad that I'm involved in, uh, you know, um, bringing the brand back and some really cool years as well. Well, I think it's a really nice uh, thing because it must have been a pretty low point um, with Brucals 1.0 and pretty yep. dark, dark moments there. Two things that have really seemed to me that have come out of it, which is now Brucult making a comeback, but on your terms, uh, which is nice. And without the the weight of ownership and responsibility and yeah. everything that comes with it. But also the fact that with the Rockstar Academy is that you've been there. I think people will respect. Yes. You know, although it was a bad thing to happen no. and it would have felt really low at the time. Now, yeah. it's not like you're a, you know, you've just been kicking goals and you're telling a small brewery, no, this is how you should do it. You've felt the pain. You, oh, you've had absolutely. it. And, and so w- when you give your opinion, it comes with a high degree of credibility and people want to listen. And I think yeah. that's a, re- a really positive thing to come out of it. I'm not really shy on sharing that experience either. I mean, when Brewcott 1.0 went under, that was extremely hard and very stressful. And um you know uh, you know financially and emotionally was very stressful because this is the thing that i'd worked very hard for and just to see it very slow train wreck of it all falling apart um was very draining very fortunate that um there's some excellent people in this industry um and um who have been very supportive um particularly uh the stone and wood team family stone and wood family um, you know, uh, we were doing the, so literally like in 2016, Brewcult had won the champion Gypsy Brewer uh, trophy at the AIBAs. And then so this, the champion small, medium and large and Gypsy Brewer get together the following year to make a special one-off beer for the AIBA dinner the following year. And then they make a video about it. It's funny and all that sort of thing. And standing on the brew deck in the last, you know, at Stone of Wood in Byron Bay and, and, and I'm standing on the brew deck there and um, knowing all of this weight and, and what was about to happen with the brand and couldn't tell anyone about it at the time because we were trying to sell the business or raise funds or something like that. We couldn't actually, we had to keep a facade that everything was fine. And I'm standing on the brew deck and I was talking to Stone of Wood's head brewer, Keelan Vaughan, and I said, mate, I... I don't think Brucolt's got too much time left in it and I really just need a job. And um, all I wanted to do was just to do what I love every day and and um, and and he just goes, yeah, sure, man, just I'll, I'll hook you up with, you know, come and have a chat next week with with our, you know, technical brewer and um, and let's see what we can do and, you know, and, and, and I'm very grateful to the Stoner Wood family for... Um, you know, taking me in uh, and being very supportive uh, at the time. Um, 
and um, and just allowing me, you know, I didn't do anything special at Stone. I just worked on the floor and ran the company homebrew club. I was having a ball. You know? <laughs> it was great. It was the, 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 it's it's like it's living on the beach on the Gold Coast. <laughs> yeah, it's not a bad place the, to. The shift the shift regime there is, you know, they treat their staff so well, and the shift regime there is, you know, three days morning shift, then you get twenty four hours off on swing, then you do three days on late shift, and then you get three days off. And so, you know, even though you didn't have weekends, like Saturday and Sunday weekends, you got three-day weekends. You know, and even in the middle of the week, you can get stuff done and life admin and all that sort of thing. And all, and I just enjoyed, you know, for the time that I was there, is just going there and not having to think about, you know, um, money and finances and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, but for the but for the wash up from, you know, Brookhold 1.0, but it just allowed me just to reset and refocus and become passionate about beer and the industry again and realize that there are some really good people in the industry um uh, for which i'm very grateful so um so yeah yeah shout out to the stone and wood family bunch of legends yeah and uh, i feel like uh, an experience like you had with brew cults can make you fall out of love with the thing that it is and it, it appears to me that mm. if that did happen it's certainly you are back <laughs> with a relationship now well, uh, with beer it, and passion and helping other people of, yeah when it hit the um you know when it hit the you know crafty pint and that sort of thing you know to say that is this the end of brewcult and it was the when the bar closed and all that sort of stuff and that was tough and but text messages and phone calls and you know all that sort of thing and people were just saying endo whatever you do just please don't stop brewing and so having had that not so great experience has only given me resolve to make sure that i put back into this industry that i love and so um, and so by, by in, in Rockstar Brewer Academy, whatever happens with Brewcult 2.0, um, the, the Rockstar Brewer Academy is going to be, it will still be my, my main focus. And I'll, I'll, you know, the, 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 how, how Brewcult 2.0 pans out yet yeah, is a conversation that's yet to be had. But, um, but the Rockstar Brewer Academy gives me the opportunity to be able to um, share my experience and, and, and I give away a lot of content for free just because it's it's just what you do, you know, and the services I offer are of a reasonable price and, um, you know, it's not, it's, you know, no brewer goes in and starts a brewery to do it for the money and that's the same with the academy for me. I'm really just enjoying helping other brewers make better beer and um, seeing their businesses become successful and um, being mindful for their the pitfalls that um, can happen in a, in a brewing business and, and sharing that knowledge. And I think it's important for the growth of the industry. Well, on a really happy note, one of the previous guests, Jocelyn Erickson from Huff on Brewery Tours. Oh yeah. Goes yeah. one of your beers from Brew Cult as a beer that changed everything. What, for she, what did she pick? Yeah. I was listening to that one. Cause was, Hop Zone. It was a hop zone, yeah. Okay. yeah hop zone, yeah. Another beer um, with Nelson Sorvin in it, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think she, I think she still got a bottle and it, like an empty bottle of it on the shelf. <laughs> she kept. Yeah, she's and probably, she I was, she's, I, that's right. I remember. I think she's got the old one, the red label with the big giant hop on it. 
Yeah, um, quite quite uh, embarrassed when she saw you, um, fangirl. Wanting <laughs> 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 so, a photograph with I'm, you, so I'm, I'm like, yeah, look, I I remember that moment. It was very funny, and and Jocelyn's just just a, a bloody legend, and um, you know. <laughs> The, the fangirl moment doesn't happen anymore with her because we see each other pretty with, with pretty you know decent frequency now. But uh, but I certainly love what she's doing in the industry and and um, we'll always have that moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so before you go, we've got uh, your beer snack and what are you drinking these six beers out of? What would be your go-to receptacle? What would be my 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 go-to oh for glass yeah yeah um look you know it doesn't have, it doesn't have to be made of glass you can you know can no, no, no. a horn be a, <laughs> a horn <laughs> very game of thrones isn't it look, i love all like all styles of beer and um and for me you know drinking beer is about you know mateship and camaraderie and talking shit at the pub and all that sort of thing. It's how I got into to brewing. It's one of the things that I still enjoy. Of these beers, give me a pint of Alpha Pale Ale and a bunch of my mates around and I'm happy as Larry, you know. Um, so that's the beer in the receptacle is the uh, uh, pint of Alpha Pale Ale, a good old-fashioned pint glass. You can't, can't beat it, you know, because it's more about the experience than it is about the beer itself and, so that's what that's why it's quite important. To yeah, and uh, um, as far as a, food, a, a food pairing goes, snack right. You know, one of my um, sort of guilty pleasures is uh, is is I lo- I just love eating good cheese, and I just don't think you can beat a good saison and a cheese platter, a charcuterie platter as well, and they're just such an excellent pairing. So my snack's going to be cheese platter, um, and um, and and you know, paired with a bloody good saison, you know. So um, it probably might be something like Bridge Roads Chevalier saison, which is just outstanding. Um, the classic saison Dupont, bloody, I'm happy as Larry on a Saturday night, <laughs> watching watching some Netflix with a saison and the cheese platter. <laughs> What, what, what happened to the rock star? <laughs> hey. <laughs> yeah, so um, you know that's that's it. Just simple, just keep it simple. You know, you know, I, I I love watching people getting out there and drinking lots of crazy beers and and um, you know all the different styles. And I I know I'm a big geek as well, but um, for me, just the simplicity of it. It's just, that's just what beer. That's what, just what attracts me to beer. It's just a simple thing. You know? It's accessible. It's yeah. just beer, yeah. and it's nice to have fun. But you do find yourself coming back to those main styles and yeah. just enjoy, enjoying them um, for whatever circumstance. So, um, and any uh, you've you would have a couple of beers that should get an honourable mention that didn't quite make the six. Yeah. Um, so with the sort of alpha pale ale being my epiphany beer, you know, shout out to the other pale ales out there that are just, um, amazing and, and, and not too much of a stretch from that. So that leads to the beers, you know, like, uh, Hop Hog has been a hugely influential beer for me and I always wanted to make a beer as good as Hop Hog. 
um, that did as well at the ARBA as Hopog, and, and, and I'm very fortunate to have achieved that. Um, and um, you know, so many other just great classic Australian-made local pale ales are just so good, and the, and the variance that comes with them. Some people just find them boring. I just I love the diversity just in that one style in pale ale. I love brewing it. I love drinking it, and um, you know it's um, um, it's a style of beer that's been quite influential, uh, you know, in my brewing career, and um, um, not and not to the not to the detriment of other beer styles and that sort of thing, you know. But um, um, but pale ale is where I've sort of an IPA is where I really sort of put most of my focus in my brewing career. So yeah, hop hog, um, bloody. Um, Revel Pale and Revel IPA over here is really good. Uh, I'm really digging Newstead beers at the moment because they're in the BWS around the corner, and um, you know that you know two to the valleys cracking IPA and it's, it's 25 bucks for a six. I can't beat it. So um, so yeah, there's some great beers out there, but yeah, that that style and the beers around what Alpha Pale Ale was in my beer epiphany still interests me today so yeah well thanks hendo it's been a great journey through the six beers that changed everything and uh thanks so much as well for sharing your story and um where can we find you online and yeah thanks well thanks for having us today that's been really good and and um if you're sitting in your car don't don't crash or anything like that please um but um (laughs) (laughs) uh so uh yes you can uh, find me uh, online, uh, rockstarbrewer.com, if you are a brewer and are considering raising your uh, beer quality stand- standards and that sort of thing, or you just want to improve your process, make your beer better, and you're not where, quite sure where to sh- start, just give us a shout and contact me on there. I'm pretty responsive with emails. Um, uh, so uh, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook is all Rockstar Brewer. Um, and um, you know, um, and, and and my personal stuff that's not business related, I'm Sir Hendo online and all the socials. So you can follow me there. Don't do Twitter much anymore. Instagram, no, I'm hanging around. But yeah, <laughs> I find it hard to do any. Yeah, I find it hard to do any of them. It's it's difficult enough talking to people in person. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah, yeah that's right. So, and thanks very much for having me today. I really appreciate it. Our absolute pleasure. And uh, this is uh, this is the first video link up I've done uh, for the podcast. So it's a it's yeah. a first. So no, f- really appreciate the time, Hendo, and uh, really looking forward to either when I'm up in Brisbane or you're down here in Melbourne, and we're definitely going for a beer. And absolutely, yes, um, yes. Give us a shout, mate. We'll go grab one, grab a beer. Yeah, absolutely. Cheers, Hendo. Cheers, mate. So that was it, Hendo. Wasn't it magnificent? I just love talking to Hendo, and I think it speaks volumes that we were able to do that remotely, and I just felt a real connection uh, with Hendo and I loved how open he was and I think we're really lucky to have people like that in the good beer scene not only to promote good beer but 
to kind of promote being a good person as well. I think that's really important and we sometimes overlook it. So thanks so much uh, to Hendo for sharing a small part of his knowledge in that podcast there and also talking through his six beers that changed everything. We did manage to fit those in. So that was wonderful. I'd just like to let you know as well that there is a revamp of the Chosen Brew website, which is thechosenbrewau.com. I'll put that in the show notes. I've just made it a lot simpler. If you do have or prefer listening online, uh, whether it be at work or whatever you're doing, that's a really easy way. There's a, a nice little stream from Spotify on there with all the episodes, which are really easy to scroll. And you can also do that on your phone as well. I've just tried to keep it as simple as possible. But if there's anything that you think should be on the website, which isn't, then please let me know. Uh, email me uh, through the website, the contact page, or at thechosenbrewau at gmail.com. Also, big thanks to those people who have sent some correspondence or emailed or have left a review on the various different platforms that you can get the chosen brew i gave evan ob81 a shout out for his review i didn't know whether it was evan or even knob and i found out to my embarrassment that it's evan so apologies evan thanks so much for leaving a five-star review no less on itunes that really helps and also uh just the girl and her beers thanks so much you've called it your favorite podcast now there's over half a million podcasts in the world thanks for choosing mine um and it's great i loved your review because it actually did what i wanted this podcast to do which was start a conversation about what would your six beers be what would the beers that changed everything for you be and I feel like it's a question so personal to each individual and it cuts through all the nonsense of all the social media you see you should like this beer you shouldn't like that beer it just is what it is and it is personal to you and nobody can tell you any different so thanks so much that was a really lovely pod uh, really lovely review so thanks just a girl and her beers it's really appreciated and matty y as well who said really loving this podcast which is fantastic as well and a big shout out to daniel as well who sent me a really nice email just saying how he recently discovered the podcast and was working his way through the back catalog and i'm really happy that i've got a back catalog to work through I'm really glad that you enjoy the format as well, Daniel. Uh, thanks so much for your emails and, and keep in touch. And thanks to anyone who sent me messages on Instagram and so on. We won't run through them all, but I really appreciate all the support. And it gives me a lot of encouragement to keep going. If you've listened this long, the next episode is another rock star of the brewing world. Brendan O'Sullivan from Three Ravens. It's going to be immense. The other thing I wanted to say as well is if you're interested, I was thinking of starting up a small Facebook group where I would reveal who the guest is coming on and maybe you'd like to, as a listener, put in your questions um, before I interview them if there's anything specific and also maybe share ideas about what your chosen brews would be. Um, it'd be great if we could think about that and how that would work and what you'd like to see from that so I wouldn't want it to be like any of the other kind of groups out there at the moment of which there are lots with lots of beer news or 
arguments, <laughs> whatever it is, I think because you're listening to this, you get it, don't you? So it would be a really nice kind of community and uh, probably start off small and then, you know, we could certainly share feedback and ideas and so on and, and build on that for 2019. There's going to be a few more exciting things in the pipeline as well. So it's shaping up to be a really nice year. Thanks for all your support and thanks for sharing the podcast. I can see by the numbers that there's more and more listeners. Clearly, you are sharing it with your friends and putting it on their iPhones and various devices. So thank you so much for doing that. I'm really looking forward to the next episode with Brendan O'Sullivan and Three Ravens. We'll chat soon and hopefully we can catch up for a beer sometime.